want to start a series that we can study for the next few weeks, not for the just sake of a series, but that we can, uh, I guess, unpack and benefit uh, from the purpose that Jesus taught certain things. We call it an ethic or an ethicos, or, but I think it's more than that. We're going to be looking at the Beatitudes. And uh, my, my desire is to um, clarify, and I mean that in, in a very good sense, clarify and give us an understanding of what exactly the Lord was saying when he began uh, and presented what we know as the Beatitudes. Now, I say I want to clarify, uh, and let me give just a, an example of that, kind of on a lighter note. I, I, like to, I like to cook. More truthfully, I like to think that I can cook. And, um, and I've, for years, all of my adult life, I've been fascinated by old recipes and how they used to do things, how they used to prepare meat and everything. So when I was going to start, and I had some fiascos, uh, some pretty serious fiascos, but that's the process that you learn. So anyway, when I started uh, wanting to embark on learning other people's recipes, I would, I would talk to them. They don't write them down. A lot, of, a lot of those recipes, they didn't write them down. They would just tell you things. Hey, yeah. Uh, and they had a lingo, they had a language I didn't quite understand. I was talking to my mom one time, and I said, well, you know, when you do this, I said, how much of that do you put in? And she said, oh, a pinch. I said, well, what do you, what do you mean a pinch? And she said, well, just a little bit. I said, well, what? Well, I know that you can have a one-finger pinch, two-finger, three, and four. My first time was a four-finger uh, pinch, and it was obviously too much. So I had to learn what a pinch and then I was uh, talking with Sister Mackey one time, uh, and she gave, I was talking about a recipe, and she said, well, just put a smidgen in. I said, a smidgen? What does that mean? And she explained that. Then I came across uh, something about cabbage I had never, well, you just sweat the cabbage. Well, my first thought was, well, will you, you just put it in where it's hot or something. I didn't know what sweat meant. And then scalding milk was one of my fiascos because I just assumed scalding is the same as boiling. And it's not, uh, especially when you have things in with that milk that'll curdle. You, you, you scald it, but you don't, you don't boil it. There are some word usages in our study that I want to clarify, simply because I think that's what gives the power uh, and the beauty of what Jesus is teaching about this. What's interesting is I think that this is a very appropriate time uh, for us to uh, search or look to the source where we can find some answers on how to live uh, a good life in a bad world, as we were talking about. It's just very difficult. So we'll begin this morning. Um, I will also say that it's just my, my opinion 
that we are living in a very, very unhappy climate in our world. There's not a lot of, there are not a lot of, a lot of things that come out that are joyful or happy, or most of it is very unhappy. Um, we could go down a list, I won't, but I mean between the economy, the world, the threat of war, our leaders bickering like kids. I mean, it's just, you know, there's a lot of things that we don't lend itself to a happiness or a, or a joy. These things entangle our minds and our hearts, and whether we realize it or not, it's almost as if we are trying to, if we're looking to find some sort of peace in our life, I mean, we're just trying to tread water with a, entangled in seaweed, trying to keep our head above water. Because there's not stuff out there that, that bring us that kind of happiness. In fact, pretty much everything right now is uncertain. Uh, we feel unable to do anything about it, or at least a lot of people do. There is no calm, there is no peace, there's no joy. And there's no clarity. And here's what I've learned. When there is no clarity, um, there is always confusion. And because of that, that makes our days very, very difficult to go through. So this morning, I want to begin in this. And my first, the first uh, beatitude that Jesus speaks is, uh, I think, has to do with what we call blissfulness. Now, I'll explain that in just a moment. But I'd like to read as we begin. Matthew chapter 5. There are certain things that I would like to, again, clarify before we get into a couple of the, uh, couple of the words in the text that I think are very, very significant. Jesus, it says, seeing the multitudes, he went up into a mountain, and when he was set, his disciples came unto him, and he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Well, I think it's significant that even though we read it, the, the first phrase here is when he saw the multitudes. I think that the Lord, when he saw all the people that were coming to hear him teach, he saw past them and looked into their heart and knew exactly why they were even coming. They were coming because they were looking for some sort of calmness or peace or answers to the problems that they were encountering in their day and time. And so when he saw the multitudes, as the scriptures say, he just simply went up on a higher place in the mountain. And all his disciples, the 12 disciples, uh, came and sat down before him. And he began to teach them, I believe, what they were going to encounter when they went out to teach. Because Luke records, book of Luke records that this was just right after he had named the 12 disciples. So they came... And as they sat down, it says that he uh, sat there and he looked over their shoulders and he could see the multitudes and why, and he knew why they were there. They, he knows why you're here. He knows why we're looking for that. And then he looked at the disciples and he opened his mouth and he began to, to teach them. And he said, 
Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Now, I think, again, that as we uh, look at this, I, I want to, first of all, look at that, the, the word blessed. You know, we use that word, um, we've Americanized it, we've Westernized it, and, you know, we use it, uh, blessings to you, blessings to you over the holidays, and we use it frequently, but I think a lot of times w without, without the true knowledge of what that word actually means or what uh, the power that's, that's in that word. So when Jesus says, blessed are the poor in spirit, um, we're kind of looking at this distinction. Blessed, yes, we use that. But it's blessedness, and it's not just blessedness. It translates on down to blissful or bliss. Calm. Now, when I was looking at this, uh, first of all, I saw three transitions. Um, first of all, the language used, especially in, in our Bible, uh, it's translated, we have from the Greek and everything. Uh, but l let's look at how the, how the Greeks used that word blessed. You are blessed. Because that was a worldwide view of, of how they used it. That's, that's what people thought. They viewed it as um, a kind of a self-contained, everything that is necessary for total happiness and joy. And that would, they would call that blessed. In fact, they used to re refer to the island of Cyprus as the blessed island. And the re they gave reasons. They said that Cyprus is the one place that is so rich, it is so fertile, that it, it, it is so productive and so prosperous that the people are, are so happy that on the Isle of, of Cyprus there is nothing needed outside of that island in order to be happy. And they we used to refer to it as the blessed island of Cyprus. That was, that was how the, in the ancient world. But in our world, the Western, we've, we've kind of taken that word and, and, and changed it. In other words... When we look at blessed, we look at, at how uh, we, we call it happiness, okay? Happy. We associate being blessed with happiness. And in our world and in our day and time, happiness is so chained to other things. You're happy if things go well tomorrow. Tuesday it doesn't go well and you're not happy. So our happiness goes up and down because it's chained to something else that cannot provide everything. Everything is dependent upon circumstances. But that's not the word that Jesus used here. He used a different word. He spoke in, in what we know as Aramaic and, and Hebrew. And so it's different. Their idea of blessedness actually was something that was uh, a state uh, it was a. It, it was not just you know a day in day out thing. It was a continual state, and Jesus, when he used that word and when he talked about blessedness and he talked about joy, here's one thing he would always say: No one can take it from you if it comes from me. If I give you joy or peace from me, no one. Nothing can take it, all right? So when he looks at the multitudes, he sees that 
they have been down the road like we have. We've gone to sources, we've looked to leaders, we've looked and listened and read and done everything we can in order to try to find that that blessedness, and each and every time, given of time, we're always disappointed because it just falls by the wayside. Promises are made, can't be kept. Hope is set before us, it's always dashed. But what Jesus says is, if he gives it to us, no one can take it from us. So here's how he used it, what he, what he meant by, by blessed. When he talks about blessedness, blessed are the poor in spirit. Here's the statement that I think is very accurate. The bliss of the one who is poor in spirit. There is a blissfulness. There is a calmness. There is a serenity in those who are poor in spirit. So in in doing that, I think that for us, if we are looking for some sort of uh, calmness, then what Jesus is beginning to point out here is that it is different than everything that the world has to offer because as he looked at the multitude, he realized they were looking at somewhere different than where they had always looked before. Now, the next word that I think is very, very important, and that is poor. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Now, again, for the Greeks, how that word was used simply meant as we kind of think about it. For the Greeks, poor meant absolute poverty, absolute broke. We have no money whatsoever because the Greeks, even though they were instrumental in us thinking about our soul and the afterlife, for the most part, they, like us, very westernized, we view that success and happiness and all these things are attached to our material wealth, um, I've heard a lot of funny statements. You know, money's not everything, but it sure goes a long way. Or, you know, uh, you know, I, someone wins the lottery, you know, uh, they say, well, I'd like the opportunity to see if I could handle that, you know, and all that. But that's how we think of poor. That's not what Jesus was saying, poor materially. And I'm going to point out why that's the case, because the word he uses for poor is different. Again, it's in Aramaic and Hebrew, and how he uses it and the word he chooses to use in this actually has a very, very layered uh, effect that we're going to see that the psalmist David completely understood. When he says poor, he's not talking about materially. He's talking about poor in, in one's spirit. In other words, so let's use this word. He's not talking about being broke uh, materially. He's talking about being broken spiritually. There's a big difference. Because you can have all all the material wealth in the world, and it seems that everything is well, but yet that heart or soul is broken or entangled. When Jesus says blessed or calm or serene, serene are the poor in spirit, he's talking about there is a blissfulness for those who have found this brokenness in their heart. And it may not seem like that's the case, but I think we're going to see that that it actually is. 
When he uses that word poor, what he means is, and what his emphasis is, is is that that man is not poor materially, but he's broken. Now, here's the sequence that the uh, Hebrews in, the, in, in, that, in that mindset, here's how they thought. If a person is broken, let's say in their heart, they're broken in their heart. Well, they just don't seem to have any influence or power. They don't seem to have any prestige. They're, 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 they're broken. And, and if that's the case, then, you know, they appear weakened or ineffective, and that's when they begin to be abused. Um, we see that time and time again, even in our culture and in our society, that, uh, you know, people who, who uh, are broken, uh, not just materially, but they are broken, in their heart, or they're defeated, or they've had horrible tragedy, that they can be abused, they can be oppressed, and they can be overrun. And so what Jesus is going to point out here, and I think that's the key for us today, how do we find, how do we find, uh, you know, joy in a joyless world? Well, you can't look at the world, because they will disappoint us every time. So he's saying, to look to him. Now in this, as we're talking about, you know, the, the, the poorness, let me read you a few things that, that David said that kind of illustrates that it's not about wealth. It's about the heart. In fact, Jesus pointed out in his teaching, don't try to set and gather up wealth or material things because thieves can get it, rust corrupts it, but he says, instead, lay up treasures in heaven. In other words, it was more spiritual. And the reason I'm emphasizing kind of slowly on this, uh, methodically, is because we live, we are living in a very unspiritually minded world. We just, there's just not much thought. And people are looking for happiness in all the wrong places, under the wrong rocks, and at the wrong doors. And what Jesus is, is going to point out in this, in, in the Beatitudes, is that there is a way, in this case, in the first one, there is a way for each of us to have bliss and joy and calm and serenity in spite of everything else. But if we, if we continually look to the world for that source and for that calmness, we are going to continually be disappointed. Here's what David wrote. And he uses the same exact word that Jesus uses here for the word poor. In Psalm 34, here's what he says. The poor man cried out and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all of his troubles. The brokenhearted man, let's use that word. Let's use that word. The brokenhearted man cried out and the Lord heard him. And saved him from all of his troubles. Not just physical troubles, but just troubles of his heart and his soul and his mind. The psalmist also wrote, he said, All my bones say, Lord, who is like you, delivering the broken or the poor, brokenhearted, from him who is too strong for him. In other words, it's not again about material wealth. It's about the heart. It's about the soul. It's about the being of a person. And we're living in a time that people have actually lost the ability and lost the confidence that they can live 
a, a very good life in the middle of the lives that we all live. David wrote and he said, I am, I am poor and sorrowful. So let's say, I am brokenhearted and sorrowful. Let your salvation, O God, set me up on high, as we were just singing. Bow down your ear, O Lord, hear me. I am poor and I am needy. Needy? Do I need more things? We have enough things. All of us do. But we are bankrupt as a culture in our heart. We are so needy. And the only way to meet that need is not to continually going to the source that is bankrupting us, but instead go to God, go to the Lord, who can give us that which we need in our heart and life. So blessed are the poor in spirit basically means that blissful or bliss is that person who has come to a point that they realize that they have nothing within their heart and soul unless they go to God. In other words, we can recognize that we have a need. I deal with a lot of people. They recognize they have needs. But when it comes time for them to accept how to meet that need, they refuse to do that. Now, that means that they're going to continually stay in the condition that they are, in my opinion. Uh, if someone is so broken they, they, and so brokenhearted and so bruised, you know, we've got to remember what the Lord said. He said, the spirit of the Lord is upon me to heal the brokenhearted. And so the Lord is able to do that. But the, the question at hand is, well, if we heal our heart, does it, does it give us, will it give us that calmness? We, we kind of will continually keep going back to, well, if I just had more, I could get this problem worked out or I could do that, I would feel better. I would do better. Well, the answer to that question is no. We will, no matter how often we keep going back to the world or back to mankind for the answers for our problems, the longer we are going to, that it's going to be obscured to us that the problems we are feeling in our heart and mind and soul are from mankind. And so why go to mankind to solve what mankind has given us? And what God says, try me. Try me and see if I don't overwhelm you with my goodness or grace. So, blessed are the poor in spirit. Oh, the blissfulness of the one who has become so broken that they finally go to God. In other words, a lot of people just simply don't believe that God and only God can heal their heart. They think that there's other ways to do it. Uh, big check account or, you know, good job or a lot of friends or this or that. They believe that can heal their heart. But yet we find time and time again, studies show continually, that no matter what someone can possess, it does not and will not heal their broken heart at all. And so 
The first one that we're looking at is this, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. In other words, oh, the blissfulness of the person who is so broken that they call upon God, they will become part of the kingdom of God. And until we reach that point, I don't think that we'll ever understand that, as was pointed out, that, you know, certain things have eternal value and certain things don't. Uh, as, as Denny was pointing out, football doesn't have eternal value. It has a lot of interest, but not eternal value, but life does. And so, so in, in our Christian life, the way to find, as a kind of bring this down to a close, for at least for the introduction uh, for our series. The way to find joy and happiness, bliss, as we might say, calmness, certainty, is to be broken in our heart that we can't go anywhere else and therefore we go to God. I think the, um, I think probably the one illustration that I, I kept coming back to in my mind, a biblical illustration, and there are a lot of illustrations I could give in just real life, yours, mine, whatever, how that all of us at some point were broken, we were so broken, until we went to God, and all of a sudden we found peace, joy, bliss. As some would say, they, you know, they, they give their life to the Lord, they pray. And I sometimes will ask them, well, how are you feeling now? I feel like the weight of the world is off my shoulders. I feel like a new person. Well, that's God's hand. Blissfulness can be found in the one whose spirit is so broken that they ultimately turn to God. The example I would that I was talking about in closing was the prodigal son. I've thought about, I think about that particular parable a lot from various ways. I always shift the prism on that. I always look at that. I wonder about the elder son. I wonder about the father. I wonder about the prodigal son. You know, just all facets of it. But here's the impetus of the story. He had gone through everything that the world had to offer. He took his inheritance and he wasted it on how he wanted to live. Till finally he found that the world that he was spending all of his inheritance on took everything he had and then cast him aside, left him undone until he finally found himself in a pig pen, eating the very food that he despised, which was the slop of the hogs. And then it says... the. He came to himself, came to himself. And when he came to himself, he made this confession. He said, why am I here? My father has servants, and here I'm, I'm doing worse than his servants. So he decided to go back, and he went back to the father. He was so broken. Let's use that word since we're using He was so brokenhearted. He was so undone, not only materially, but his heart, because his confession reveals it. He didn't confess for wasting everything. What he said was, I have sinned against God, and I have sinned against my Father. So he goes back, and he says to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven, 
and I've sinned in your sight, and I'm no more worthy to be called your son. The interesting thing about that is I think this captures, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Once he was so broken, and he went to his father, his father brought him back into the family, dressed him, and restored him, and there was joy, and they had a feast, and everyone was happy. Blessed are those who are broken in heart. They can be in the kingdom of God. Let God heal our hearts. Final words. If your heart is broken, or you are entangled, or you are so unhappy within your soul or spirit, let me know. I'd like to tell you. I'd like to tell you how the Lord can heal your heart. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the time to be in your house, and we thank you for the words that were shared, both in hymn and song and testimony and the reading. And we're thankful that you've preserved the word for us. May we stop long enough in our lives and ponder these words of the Lord. That our heart has to be broken. Our heart has to come to a point that we realize we have no one else to turn to but our Heavenly Father. And I pray, Lord, that if there's anyone here, that they would seek to find their way back to their Heavenly Father. And may they understand and have confidence that He will restore, He will heal their brokenhearted, and He will give them bliss and blissfulness and calm and peace in their soul in spite of the life that they had lived. And we'll give you thanks for it in our Lord's name. Amen. Let's stand this morning as we come to a close and taking just a moment. If you'd like to come and pray, please do. We'd love to have you come and pray. And if you have a need, I promise you God will meet that need. But as we sing, we'll sing one verse unless someone would like to come this morning. Page 542.